why they pay me the big bucks. <clears throat> Couldn't resist. We've come to the conclusion of our Unwrapping Our Spiritual Gifts series, where we've been discovering how it is that God, by His Holy Spirit, has gifted each and every one of us, that each and every one of us is important, vital, and valuable to the mission that God wants to do in and through Faith Covenant Church. And so I want to ask you for a moment, do you feel like you have begun to unwrap your spiritual gift? I pray that this series has been helpful for you in kind of exploring that and seeing what it is that you have to offer to the ministry of our Lord. And so I want to review real quickly, and you were reminded by our skit of some of these things. Uh, How many gift lists are there? Four. Very good. And they are found in first Romans. Romans chapter 12, okay. First Corinthians. Chapter 12, good. And then chapter 4, very good. Ephesians chapter 4. And then finally, and 1 Peter, and what chapter? 4, okay, very good. And we decided uh, or divided them into uh, three categories, and those three categories were. Very good. <laughs> All you meek and quiet people. Okay, so equipping was one, manifesting was one, and supporting was one of the categories. And the purpose of these gifts, they were given for what? I heard a couple of people say it, for the common good or to build up the body of Christ. That was the purpose of the gifts. And the gifts are not primarily about us, about you or I. The gifts are primarily activated by God's call, God's mission, and God's ministry. For example, I've talked to scores and scores of moms over the years, and uh, never once has one of those moms said, I have the spiritual gift of diaper changing. You know, that just doesn't rank up there as one of the spiritual gifts. But I'm here to tell you that there are millions of babies down through the centuries that are so grateful that moms step up and do it anyway. The danger of unwrapping and using our spiritual gifts is that we deny ourselves the real joy, the real privilege, and we steal from the body of Christ their joy of seeing these gifts accomplished, of seeing a miracle of us working together as the body of Christ to love and do the ministry of our Lord. Each one must do its part, its special part. Each one must do that in the body of Christ. Another danger is when we know our gifts and we decide not to do anything about them. We just kind of put them on hold, stack them in a shelf, put them away in storage someplace, and we decide not to do anything in the body. And some of us also get so hung up on our gift that we're all about that, and we let that happen and dominate anything that happens, rather than just pitching in when there's a need. Why were the gifts given? They were given for the common good, to build up the body of Christ. And to build up the body of Christ, by definition, is not just within these walls of building one another up, it's also building other people into the faith, bringing them into the body of Christ and coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray and invite God into our conversation this morning. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. For Jesus' sake, amen. So the question today is, how do we use these spiritual gifts? We've talked about the gifts. We've talked about who has given them, uh, who received them, why, um, uh, when we are to use the gifts. And today I want to conclude by looking at the question, how do we use them? How do we use our spiritual gifts? And the Scriptures clearly teach that you may have awesome gifts, but if you choose to use them in the proper way, not only does it uh, not benefit the kingdom of God, it also can harm the body of Christ when we use them improperly, when we don't use them according to God's call and His will. And so according to the Apostle Paul, how do we use our gift? Let me give you a definition. We use our spiritual gifts in a way that best serves God's mission, best serves God's purpose. And in one word, we could summarize that definition by saying love. We use our spiritual gifts in love. Where have you heard the text that we, uh, was read for us a little earlier in the service? Where have we heard that traditionally? Weddings, yeah. Weddings is often when it's used, and that's a great usage of the text because it's a good reminder to all of us of the way that God wants us to love Him and then to love one another, and especially in a marriage relationship. Uh, It's the quintessential wedding text. But Paul, in chapter 13 here, waxes eloquent and poetic. But let me remind you of the context because there's not a wedding in sight in 1 Corinthians here. Paul wrote this love sonnet for a church war, a church battle. The church at Corinth was getting a tongue lashing, literally, from those that had the gift of tongues. And apparently some who had this gift liked it because it was pretty spectacular. It was pretty unique uh, and drew a lot of attention. And without the gift of interpretation, it became divisive. It became destructive to the body of Christ. It became very distracting to what God wanted to do and how God wanted to use all of the gifts of the body of Christ. For example, in a former church that I served, I was associate pastor, and my senior pastor was Chuck. And in that church, there was a gentleman who came to our church, and within the second week, he took it upon himself to sit in a front row of the church, and he would sit there and do the songs and so on, uh, whatnot, but as soon as the songs were over and it was time for the sermon, he would stand, and he would begin to speak in tongues. And it was very unusual for this church, because that was not something that commonly happened in this church, uh, but that was what he felt led to do. And he really felt that our pastor was not moving the church fast enough in the direction that he perceived our church needed to go and be filled with the Spirit. So, on Sunday mornings, there he was, and there was no interpretation. Nobody with that gift spoke up. We had some visitors who did not return to our church during that sequence, and we had some members leave the church at least for a time. But finally, after a few weeks of that, our pastor, with the spiritual gifts of wisdom and also of discernment, went to the man that morning after our song time, put his hand around his shoulder, and told him not to do that. And the gentleman said in a very loud voice, the Holy Spirit has told me to do this. 
To which my pastor responded, that's very interesting because I'm the pastor of this church and he hasn't mentioned it to me yet. Uh, So let's get together, let's talk about this, and let's pray about this. The whole thing kind of went away. And this man saw that his gift could be used, but only in the proper context. Think of how divisive that might have been. It was not building up the body. It was distracting from what God wanted to do in ministry. Now, I've been to churches and I've seen tongues used. And I've seen it used in public with the gift of interpretation. And it's powerful. It's worshipful. Like I told you a couple weeks ago, I don't have that gift myself. But I've seen it used properly and powerfully. And I saw people blessed. I've also seen it used in private worship. And I've seen where the Holy Spirit has uh, broken through in power for those individuals in that private worship setting. But I've also seen it used contrary to scriptures. I've seen it disrupt and divide congregations. Read chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and it'll tell you about what happened in the early church in that regard. Paul felt it important to give instructions on how these gifts, including the manifesting gifts, were to be used for the building up of the body of Christ, for the building up of his church. In chapter 14, verses 18 and 19, it says, I thank God that I speak in tongues, this is Paul speaking, more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul is not sharing these instructions out of a vacuum. He's not somehow sharing them because he's never experienced them or never seen them used in the church. But he discovered limitations, especially in corporate worship, and especially if there was no interpreter there to explain what this tongue was from the Lord. And the punchline is in verses, verse 23 through 25 of uh, chapter 14. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some do not understand, or some unbelievers come in, will they not say, are you out of your mind? But if, an, if a believer, an unbeliever, or somebody who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he uh, hears that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so that he will fall down in worship of God, exclaiming, God is really among you. God's power is really among you. Paul gives these instructions to help us in certain times and certain circumstances of how to deal with our spiritual gifts. And this can be true of any spiritual gift, as was pointed out in our skit. They all have their dark side um, as well as the gift side that God gave them to us for. Gifts need boundaries. Why? For the common good, for the benefit of each and every one of his children. And it amazes me that some churches and some denominations equate equate some of the gifts with salvation or as a barometer of spiritual maturity. And as I read uh, in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, Paul plainly and Paul clearly teaches that tongues are not given to every believer. No gift is given to every believer. But rather, the Spirit of God has given each of the gifts just as He desired, placed each one just as He purposed and wanted. And Paul says in verses 29 and 30, 
Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes from someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Paul said that there should be an orderliness about how it is that we use our gifts in order to benefit all that are present. Bill, why haven't you dealt with the text yet this morning? Ah, it's a powerful text. And it speaks to the topics we've been talking about in the last few weeks. But I wanted to set the context so that you could understand what Paul is saying in this love chapter. And while it is good for weddings, it is good for restoring relationships, it is good for understanding God's love for us, in the context, it was used to explain to us the environment in which we use our spiritual gifts. The context is so important. The spiritual gifts, Paul devotes five chapters in three different books to this topic, more than almost any other topic that he talks about. And it was apparently tearing the church apart back in the time of Corinth, in the time of the Apostle Paul. You see, the gifts were designed to pull us together, to pull us together to one another, not to be divisive, not to cause divisions, not to cause arguments and conflicts. And the gifts were designed in that to accomplish God's kingdom purpose and as a witness to the world that when they would look at how Christians respond, like was said by one of our characters in the skit, boy, you know, if they could see how we work together in unity, that would be a powerful, powerful witness. The Holy Spirit's role is to point us to Christ. The gifts are given that we might point others to Jesus Christ. And I pray to God that division will not happen here, that we will use our gifts for the benefit of one another and our Lord. And smack dab in the middle of this church conflict debate, Paul writes the love chapter. Verse 31 of chapter 12 introduces it, says, But eagerly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. For if I speak in tongues, and then it goes through some gifts. But it says that without love, they're worthless. They're nothing. They're empty. They're vacant. They're void. They are ineffective. That excellent way is the way of love. Read silently in your Bibles as I read aloud the first verses of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but do not have love, I gain nothing. All these gifts are what without love? Nothing. In verse 8 of chapter 13, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. What's the one thing which will always endure? It's love. 
And this love isn't the watered-down love that we use so loosely in our culture. It's not, I love blueberry pie, although I really do, if you're a pie maker. It's not that I love my, my iPad or my iPhone. They're so awesome. It's not that I love CSI on TV because I like to watch the mystery of it. No, this love is much grander. This love is much deeper. This love is much more profound and complex. It is agape love. It is God's love. It is the way that he loves us and in turn wants to love through us to others, including our community, including the people that are seemingly unlovable. It's the heartbeat of the gospel. It's the heartbeat of God's word. It's God's love letter to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. God is love. And we love because God first loved us. Love is the essential quality of our relationship with God and with one another. So the question, how do we use our gifts? In a way that best serves God's mission, that builds the kingdom of God. And that way is the way of love. And God's word points out that this love is the essential environment in which we are to exercise our spiritual gifts. Recall I pointed out the potential dark sides to each of the gifts. And this dark side comes from the absence of love. When we just do it because we have to do it, or Pastor Bill's expecting us to do it, or because there's nobody else around to do it, or any of the other bad attitudes we can have about it, that's not the Holy Spirit-empowered spiritual gift. But when it's done in love, an ache in the heart, even when it's difficult for us, even when it's out of our comfort zone, that's what God is speaking of. Our spiritual gifts' effectiveness come in the proportion to the love of God that we allow to pour through us, through our gifts. I want you for just a moment to take your bulletin flyers. You've got a little yellow sheet in there. At the top it says, how do I use them? Our question of the morning. Pull that out a moment. Paul says that without love, our gifts accomplish nothing. And so I want to talk to you just a little bit briefly. And then you can take this home with you and have it someplace handy to kind of review and to allow the Holy Spirit to enliven and quicken in you His power and His call. The first one is accept that you have a spiritual gift. That was one of the things we talked about early on. Who are the gifts for? They're for each and every one that is a believer in Jesus Christ. And so accept that you have a gift. Second thing is to pray for God to reveal your gifts. And hopefully we've started that process for you. And maybe for some of you, you've discovered some of those gifts and you're well along in that process. But pray for God to reveal them, and he will. Thirdly, get involved in Christ's mission. Get involved in Christ's mission, which basically means try some things. You may not know if you've got the spiritual gift or not until you try it and see. And you may feel the power of the Holy Spirit and His love, the love of Jesus Christ, flowing through in a way that just brings life to you, but brings life to others around you as well. 
Get involved in Christ's mission. Fourthly, learn from other Christians. Spiritual uh, gift assessments like what we took, and there's still some and some helps out in the foyer if you want to pick those up. Uh, sermons and workshops, books, small group Bible study, all those can be helpful to putting the finger on what may be our gift to use in the body of Christ. And five, evaluate your effectiveness using the gifts. You know, kind of feel that out. How does that feel? Do you feel like that might in fact be one of your gifts? And number six is to expect confirmation or affirmations from the church and other believers. And we saw that in the skit as encouragement was there and just noticed people's gifts and was able to lay an affirming word and reassurance on that. Number seven, check out your feelings and instincts. We are whole beings. This isn't just a little compartment that if we open the door, the spiritual gift pops out, you know, and we're all ready to go. We're a whole being. And that spiritual gift will integrate with everything that we are, everything that God has made us to be, all the uniquenesses and individuality that each one of you represent that make my life and my experience in Christ a whole lot richer. I often used to tell my young people when I was a youth pastor, you know, if, uh, if everybody in the world was Bill Goodwin, I'd want off planet Earth. Is that because I was a crummy guy? No. It's because it would be dull and boring if everybody's like me. I mean, I'm, I'm interesting for the first few minutes, but you know, after that, it would kind of be boring. And it's you all and your variety and uniquenesses that make life so interesting to live and how my life interacts with your lives. And eighth, examine your motives in having and using your spiritual gifts. And that's kind of being alert to the dark side because Satan wants to try to defeat you and your gift. He would like to neutralize that gift so it's not used for the purposes of your Lord. And just a note that items 5 through 8 there, they won't happen, and that's why number 3 is capitalized. They won't happen unless number 3 happens. The reality is you've got to try it out. You've got to experiment. You've got to sense God's leading and calling, and sometimes it comes by doing something, not just sitting like a bump on a log waiting for the Lord to hit you upside of the head with a 2 by 4 And beginning next week, because there's so much more I could say about this, I'm going to say more about it in the next few weeks in a new series called Love Dare. I stole the title from a movie a little while back, but I want you to kind of take a love dare with your Lord and see how it is that we might create within ourselves and within our body and within this community an environment of love in which we exercise our gifts. And so we are going to dare to love God, to dare to love one another, to dare to love our lost brother or sister better and more sacrificially together. So stay tuned. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your love. How do we use our gifts? We use them for your mission according to your call in an environment of love. Now as we give, Lord, let us not give grudgingly, but let us give because it's an expression of our love to you. And it allows you to express your love to others that don't know you yet. May we be generous. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we sing this morning. I'd invite you to...